Welcome to the Synaxis Podcast. A Synaxis is a liturgical gathering. It can also refer to an unveiling event. The Synaxis Podcast is a weekly gathering hosted by yours truly, Scott Jones, for the purpose of finding the life-giving healing word of the gospel and the words of the weekly lectionary passages. Join myself and a guest each week as we explore the lectionary text together. This is the place for gospel-rich, grace-saturated, and a properly worldly lens on the week's lectionary passages, all in 25 minutes or less. My guest is the Reverend Kenneth Tanner. Kenneth is a pastor of Church of the Holy Redeemer in Rochester Hills, Michigan. He writes for numerous websites and magazines, including the Huffington Post and Sojourners. Ken, welcome back to the podcast, my friend. Merry Christmas, Tide. Merry Christmas. Christians have a whole week. Yeah, we, we celebrate from Monday to Sunday it. night. Exactly. Let, really, let, Monday to Monday, if you include Epiphany on sixth and Eastern Christmas and our Epiphany. So, good time. yeah, let the good times roll, yeah. as they say. Yeah. So, our first text for the second Sunday after Christmas is Jeremiah thirty-one verses seven through fourteen, and this uh, this is uh, a sort of a hopeful kind of passage that. The those in exile will be brought um, out of their exilic status, and that the one who scattered Israel will gather them and, and keep as him as the shepherd of the flock. So we have this this um, this comfort to the people that you know their exile, their days of struggle will not be uh, endless here. Yeah, he gathers them back, um, but it, you know I think. Um the, the way that we read this is not just, you know, um, Israel, which the northern tribes, uh, but really about all the places they went to and the people amongst whom they dwelt. Um, it, it, you know, now, uh, looking back on it from the work of Jesus, we see that, uh, it's really not just about regathering, uh, the people of Israel, but, uh, all the people of God, um, all the people that God intends to save uh, back to himself. Yeah, because it is interesting, right, that, that you have this pattern before there is an Israel. Even in the book of Genesis, you have this pattern of exile and return, right? There's mm-hmm. like, you know, the, and it's funny because you often go like to the east, right, where the, where the some of the, you know, it's even even here, you know, you have a, a, a power that oppresses them to the east. You know, the Adam and Eve are exiled east of Eden. You know, the, the people... Uh, moving, I think, east a- after the Tower of Babel, like you know, the, the, you have this, you have this sense that this sort, this story of exile and return doesn't just begin with Israel. We see it before Israel is formed, and it continues after Israel. You know that this metaphor for ex of exile continues throughout the New Testament. That that we are sort of you're right that this sort of theme of 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 deliverance from the exilic, still sinful and tragic dimensions of human life and creation will ultimately be fulfilled. Yeah. Universally, not just what, as you know, not just what's promised for Israel here in miniature. Yeah. And, and in the old Testament, you know, obviously many of these passages work in this way. Jake appears personified as um, the whole people, right. Of God, you know, um, uh, he's the one, uh, you know, whose son ends up down in Egypt and um, who is buried there, but, you know, carried back, um, you know, um, from that place to the, to the promised land. Um, and, 
but 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 here he stands in um once again um the, the son of abraham stands in for really talking about the whole people of god which transcends a uh for us as we're reading the text transcends um ethnicity and transcends blood uh it really involves uh everyone so jacob becomes israel and then israel becomes the world um so it's it's a beautiful thing uh, of course you see this kind of language um in the book of revelation um and and elsewhere in scripture of just gathering in um a sense of of, of plenty for everyone um abundance of, of grain and oil and wine uh, flocks um everyone lives uh everything's like a watered garden um there's going to be dancing and everybody's making merry um uh, joy mourning is going to be turned in for for a sense of joy and comfort and gladness are going to replace sorrow um and, you know it's it, this is really a, a you know a a prophecy about the end of the world, you know, um, that really lines up with uh, the wedding feast at the end of Revelation. So. Yeah, and I think it, what's interesting too is that you have this sense that that in the eyes of the nations, Israel's defeat and scattering their own exile was not only a shame, a, a source of shame to Israel, but it also depicted kind of the weakness of Israel's God, right? That well, if if their God was so faithful and reliable, and we often think that. In human suffering, well, if God is is compassionate and ultimately God is is you know the Lord of all of all things, then why you know why are are His people in these tragic situations? And and the, and the prophet doesn't says no that that's not you know no for the Lord has ransomed Jacob you know that and you know and uh, and redeemed Israel. So that you have the sense that that you know intuitively we might think that suffering and struggle mean that God is not present or not faithful, but that's that's not the case the prophet's asserting. Absolutely not. Um, among them, the blind and the lame, um, those in labor, a great company. Um, it says, in fact, that w- in weeping and with consolation, they come back. Uh, you know, I, I think part of the consolation um, for the suffering and darkness in the world is that, of course, God enters it and is with us in it, not just metaphorically, but truly. Uh, in the sarks of, in the flesh of Jesus, uh, but, um, also that, that the end of all of the darkness and suffering and weeping and sadness and sorrow and mourning and grief, um, is something greater than, uh, the suffering. Something there, he, there's a promise that there is coming to history an end that, um, that makes up for all of the loss. And, and, and the, you know, death is stronger. Uh, excuse me. Life is stronger than death. Uh, light is greater than darkness. Uh, joy is greater than sorrow. Um, so, yeah. And I think Bart says something like the, the, the mystery is somehow that a world where sin is permitted, that it might be overcome by the victory of God is somehow more glorious, more beautiful than, than if oh. sin never occurred, which is right. you know, no. paradoxical, but, but it seems to be true and real. Yeah. You mean in the sense that the glory is greater because of the, the suffering that's occurred? Well, I, I think we're, it, we're, you know, it's Augustine says sort of blessed fall that led to an even more blessed redemption. Sure. But somehow we know in, in, in God's deliverance and forgiveness of sins and healing 
our wounds, we somehow know a tenderness of God uh, yeah. that we'd only see in a world where our own, uh, where our own waywardness is possible and where we can be brought home. And and at the end of all of it, um, it's only it's it, in in my view, um, and I think it's this is echoed in many of the wisest Christian teachers. In my view, the the victory uh, that occurs in the person of Jesus, the resurrection, um, and the end. Tell us of, of the life of Jesus and he brings us all into by baptism, uh, you know, shows that we have a good God, that we have a God that's only light, there's no darkness, and who's not a participant in evil or bringing about disaster or calamity on his people, but one who delivers them from it and delivers them in such a way that it can't return. Um, and, and so only in that sense, um, you know, uh, is it more glorious <laughs> because we have that end. Uh, evil and darkness of itself, you know, um, I'm with heart, you know, has, has no, no particular purpose or meaning. So. One thing that's interesting is it leaves out this, you know, 15, right? Rachel weeping for her children. Yeah. Which is so pertinent to Christmas. Yeah. 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 And, yeah. and the way all the fathers read that verse, um, as, as prophesying Bethlehem. Yeah. And yeah. all of the, you know, all of these baby infants, um, I, I just saw Hidden Life by Terrence Mallet. Unbelievable. It starts out with the black screen and a quote from Dostoevsky. The tyrant dies and his rule ends. The martyr dies and his rule begins. And so there, uh, a lot of the fathers saw in the death of these children a great victory um, in, in the midst of tr- tremendous tragedy, genocide, uh, horrid thing that happened. Um, that all of these these infants began with Christ to rule the day that they uh, they died, um, and and uh, so anyway, a little bit of Christmas um, in Jeremiah. If you just go one more verse. On to Ephesians 1, verses 3 through 14. Here we have this. Such a beautiful passage. Yeah, wonderful opening where, you know, Paul is talking about, uh, you know, the blessings, blessing God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed us with every spiritual blessing. He just goes on to say how he chose us before the foundation of the world. He destines us for adoption as children. We have redemption that he lavished on us. It's this, it's this beautiful uh, passage talking about sort of the, the, the beginning and end of the Christian life. I was thinking of, as I was reading this, I was thinking, what does Jonathan Edwards say? Grace is but glory begun, and glory is but grace perfected. Mm, mm. And you see that the book ends here of, of God's redemptive pursuit and story with, with his children. It's a beautiful sort of summary passage. And, the, and you know, and these Greeks, um, you know, living in Ephesus, who, who Paul hasn't seen in six or seven years, um, and who, who himself, you know, has gone through tremendous struggle and trial and, and, and now he's in Rome, uh, in chains. Um, and he's writing to them and, you know, about the father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, uh, and he's talking about this blessings that we have in heavenly places, which is, of course, the father himself and the son who sits at the right hand of the father. But he tells these pagans who think, who still struggle with what they were, I mean, how how many times were we taught things as children or raised in a culture and society when we're when we believe things about ourselves 
because our parents keep telling us something like you're no good or you're you'll never amount to anything or you know society tells us that you know a certain society part of the society tells us that we you know descend uh that we came from you know nothing that we that you know there's this excuse me that we were not created that we're just by you know here by chance and so forth and so on um and uh here, these people had been raised their whole life to be told that the stars and the heavens and all of these things were fates that were responsible for uh, the way their lives would be shaped and their destinies and everything. And here he's telling them that they have a father in heaven who created them and destined them for all of these things before the planets and before the stars were created. So, He's telling them that they're not that their lives are not set by these astral or you know extraterrestrial objects, but by a father who who knew them before he made the worlds. Yeah, I think of that in Revelation thirteen, the Lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world, mm-hmm. in the sense that you know there's a cross at the heart of God, and that God's own suffering love is, is not Plan B; it's it's Plan A. That you know that that even before creation, God was pledged yes. to be you know, uh, to, to be our redeemer. And that they have been adopted, which in Roman society means that everything that is part of what it means to be a part of the, the household you've been adopted into uh, is now yours. And everything that was presumed to be your fate and your destiny uh, in that other life is now unbound from all of those expectations and fatalisms and determinisms and all of those things. And someone who's been taught that from the beginning has to be reminded of that constantly. So this letter must have been a great comfort to them as they read it over and over and over again, uh, reminding them that um, that God is the one, their father is the one, and, and not just Theos, but, the, you know, the, 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 the person that they're in a familial relationship with um, Made, made these destine them for this adoption in Jesus Christ from the founda- before the foundation of the world. Yeah, and it's interesting here. You know, us in Christ. Yeah, right? and, and at the conclusion he says that the Holy Spirit, the gift of the Spirit is the down payment. I mean, it's sort of the pledge of the inheritance. It's, it's, the, it's real spendable cash. You know, it's like a down payment is real. It's available it's now. Yeah, and I, you think about that. Like we often say that people are, sh- like when, when somebody has a debilitating disease, they say they're a shadow of their former self. And Paul's almost saying here, we're shadows of our future selves, that, that what we have now is a down payment in this, of the glorious reality that will be our freedom in the end, in the end of all days, in the end of days, um, in the day of the Lord. Yeah. And I think of the, you know, the sevenfold gifts or aspects of the spirit in Isaiah and, and can't, I think, you know, spirit of wisdom and, um, all of that, 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 um, that it has to be in the back of Paul's mind when he's talking about the spirit being given um, uh, as a part of the inheritance and this wonderful phrase, the eyes of your heart, which doesn't like appear um, elsewhere in the literature. Yeah. It, yeah. It only appears here uh, that there is a way of seeing with uh, once our hearts have been enlightened by the truth of Jesus Christ, there's a way of seeing ourselves, a way of seeing our neighbor, our way of seeing creation our way of seeing the future, our way of interpreting the past, our way of experiencing the present. Yeah, it's like what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5. We no longer regard anybody from a human point of view because we used to regard – that's how we originally looked at Christ. I mean, it's that, that, it's that similar thing, I think, yeah. And this immeasurable greatness of his power, once again, 
these people are raised with a particular understanding of capricious gods who, um, you know, are only interested in human beings for what they're used to them as or um, how they um, function in his chess game or her chess game. And here's a God who predestines us in love because he loves the world and he loves us apart from any material use we have to him, apart from any part we play in the chess game of, of, of history. Um, and, and his, the immeasurable greatness of his power, the immeasurable greatness of his power. We know what all things the immeasurable greatness of the power of God is. That's a cross. So these people are being drawn out of all of this, um, all these really false ideas into a way of understanding. Um, yeah, that God is. <laughs> Uh, this loving God who's been revealed in Jesus Christ um, as Father, who He invites us to call Father, is the true Lord. And that, you know, that, that leads into our gospel passage where uh, similar themes here, where we have John 1 and, you know, the, the, the prologue, the sort of epic prologue. It's interesting because, you know, Bart says that there's two stories going on in the New Testament. One story is a story of ascent, and it's in the synoptics and certain parts of Paul where it's Jesus of Nazareth is revealed to be the son of God, you know, through, through his resurrect, death and resurrection. And then you have stories of descent in other places in Paul and in John, where John doesn't start saying Jesus is revealed to be the Christ and the Son. He starts with the eternal Son, the Word, who, who it's a story of humiliation and, and, and self-sacrifice, of self-emptying. But Bart says they're both, this is his thinking of human and divine, they're both stories going on in the same person, one of ascent and one of descent. So here, John, it's kind of the ultimate descent language, you know, like it, like we have in Philippians, you know, that of self-emptying here the word is becoming flesh and tabernacling in the neighborhood i love what eugene peterson says moves into the neighborhood with us you know um yeah it's great this great johannine prologue yeah he's he he's really skillfully um bringing scriptural and concepts from scripture and concepts from the world in which you know uh the gospel was going forward and you know uh, the, um, you know, third and fourth century, excuse me, third and fourth, uh, decade of the first century is just logos. And, you know, this idea that there, that, you know, God spoke all things into being. Um, and this is, you know, of course, reflected also in the opening to Colossians, the opening to Hebrews, that, that the word is the one who's with God, who the son of God, Jesus, is the one who is the word, who with the father creates all things. Um, one God, um, not an, not a, a, another God, but the same God, um, who, who was in the beginning with God, not, not, not in the beginning of when the worlds are created, but in the beginning, beginning. Um, and uh, that everything comes into being through him. Um, it 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 doesn't get stronger than that in terms of of the subject and what it's describing. And uh, we still have to reaffirm this over and over again because you know we we still have uh, modern Arians with us um, and people who want to deny 
Um, but the one who is Sarks, the one who, you know, became flesh is, is something less than the creator or not the creator or an appearance of the creator. Um, and not at one and the same time, the creator of all things with the father and also one of us. Yeah. It's really interesting to this word Lagos. So it's got this rich and deep history in Greek philosophy. And, you know, lots of schools have thought, thought the Lagos was this thing that sort of this principle that is sort of held reality together and, and and if you could sort of get in touch with it you know you could you, you'd, you'd understand the the path to human flourishing well they had different views like you know if you're a stoic maybe you think that all things are sort of predetermined and you know you just you just keep a stiff upper lip or if you're an epicurean you think you know maximize yeah, pleasure minimize pain uh, have a good time but nobody nobody in ancient history before the, the christian movement thought that the logos was personal so you know, and which which led to a revolution in thinking yeah, about really a revolution about the dignity of the human person, and you know, it's why the church starts orphanages and and, and protests, leaving out you know, unwanted children and all these things. You know, it's it's at this sense that that at the heart of reality is the personal, you know, and and, a, and not just the personal, a person who comes to us in grace and by grace brings us in with grace and truth into a, a living relationship that is this light that lights the light of all people is the one who comes uh to bring us grace and truth and and um yeah you know um uh, exactly the per- there's a person whose life and there's a person whose light um you know and and uh, the person of the son as god and it, as a human being um is is um is the light that light i mean it's repeated twice once as what was the light of all people and then the true light, which enlightens everyone, uh, which is, which is such a beautiful, um, I think helpful perspective when, as Christians were tempted to other people and to forget our common creator, forget the common image that all people share, um, with God who, who forget that Christ is the light that lightens everyone. Um, uh, whether they've come to you know to know him personally uh, or not, it's a good foundation. People could talk a lot about light and darkness in the passage. They're preaching. Um, a lot of people have been wondering with Baby Yoda, you know, what child is this? <laughs> um, I love Baby Yoda. Uh, it's great. And um, Mandalorian is a great show. Light shines in the darkness, and darkness did not overcome it. This is not a cosmic battle between the forces of light and the forces of darkness and the sort of equivalence or dualism um, that, that John is trying to, um, you know, and of course there was this idea of dualism in the Greek, but that's not what's going on here. The light definitively defeats darkness. You know, in him, beginning of his letter in him, there is no darkness at all. Yeah. Um, so it's in careful there we want to we want to be be sure to, to not you know make this a, a sort of cosmic duel uh between the forces of light and the forces of darkness it's it, it got it, the darkness has been firmly defeated even though um you know we still uh live in a reality in which the light has to shine in the midst of darkness um that hasn't changed um and yeah so, it's inter- yeah and it's interesting too. There's this joke I heard on the or story I heard on the West Wing between two characters, and one saying that uh, that 
this guy falls in a ditch and he's in this ditch for a while and a, a doctor walks by and says, Doc, can you help me out of the ditch? I'm in this ditch. Can you help me out? And the doctor writes a prescription throws in the ditch. And a couple hours later, a priest walks by and says, hey, Father, can you help me? I'm, I'm down in this ditch. And he writes a prayer and throws it down the ditch. And then a couple hours later, a friend of his comes and he, he says, hey, my friend, can you help me? I'm, I'm caught in this ditch. And the friend jumps in the ditch. He said, what are you doing? Now we're both in the ditch. And he says, yeah, but I've been here before in this ditch and I know the way out. Mm-hmm. And that's the message of the incarnation, right? That Christ tabernacles with that's us. It's, he, he's, he, he is on our side. And from all eternity, it was his plan to show us the way. And, and through his own life and his light, he does by his grace. That'll preach. We, we um, you know, I, I think there's so much going on here, but people could also look at um, who received him, who believed in his name. He gave power to become children of God who were born not of blood or of the will of the flesh or of the will of man, but of God, which is really a description of Jesus. I mean, you know, there, there, yeah. it doesn't say, interestingly enough, it doesn't say, or the will of a woman because the will of the woman was involved. Um, and, uh, but, but, but of God, um, not of bloodlines or the will of the flesh, but of God. Uh, Wait, what is that? That, that patristic line, we become by grace what he is by nature. Correct. And so here God comes, the son comes and, um, and he's the one who's in the father's lap. Um, and he's the one who makes him known and makes known what it means to be God, makes known what it means to be human. Um, yeah. and I think we spend a little more time focusing on the life that he lives, not just the death that he dies for clues about all the ways that we're human that really aren't sanctioned by God. And I mean, excuse me, that aren't, yeah, I mean, that's, that's what I mean, but I want to make, make it a little clearer that aren't prohibited by God, um, to be in communion with them. There's, there's so much that's not sin that we think of as sin if we look at the life of Jesus. Yeah. And, and yeah, he has made God known. And so blessings to you, my friend, as you seek to make God known and as our listeners who are preaching do too. Thanks for talking to me about these texts. Merry Christmas. Thank you, my friend. Thanks for listening to the Synaxis Podcast. If you like what you heard, please go to iTunes, give it a rating, write a review, and subscribe, or pass it along to a friend via email, or say something about it on social media. All of those things help so much as we're just getting off the ground. Thanks to Ken for being on the podcast, and thank you again for listening. And until next time, friends, fare thee well.